right then. Fun day, don't forget that. There we go. Okay. Well, good morning. Find some notes. All right. Well, um, this morning we're looking at Colossians. So if you want to find that, you can. Give me a bit of time. Colossians is in the New Testament, and you'll find it almost at the end of the, very, of the Bible. Um, if you want a page number, it's 1,182. 1,182. Um, and when you've found it, you can just rest it somewhere and relax for a bit. We'll come back to that. So um, here we are in Colossians. We're going to be doing six weeks on Colossians. Um, It's written by a guy named Paul, which we've probably, most of us, have heard of. I'm having a good look around. Yeah. So most of us will have heard about the guy named Paul. And he wrote quite a lot of the New Testament. Uh, When he was writing the book of Colossians, he was in prison. Uh, If we read through in a minute, we'll see that Paul didn't plant this church. Um, It was another guy that he'd met, so he'd preached to him, and then this guy had become a believer, and he'd gone home to his front line, and he told other people about Jesus. And this uh, guy, this uh, little kind of guy, he told someone else, he told someone else, told someone else, and here we've got this small uh, church that Paul is writing to. And he's writing to them for various different reasons. One of the things he wants to reassure them that what they've heard is true. Okay, what they've heard is true. They didn't kind of get a second-hand version. There's nothing else they need to know, as in they didn't get it wrong, uh, because they're getting a bit of influence from other people saying, oh, well, you could have Jesus, but have this as well. And that's, I guess, why we've sort of called it, you can just about see it. It's very dark. I was a bit worried about that. Trust Christ and carry on. And someone said to me, a bit cheesy, but makes sense. But why have we chosen this letter? It's not because you guys are being tempted to start worshipping angels this afternoon. I don't think that's going to happen for you. But this uh, letter is about discipleship, is about carrying on with Jesus um, and following him to keep going, not give up. It's got lots of words like don't drift off, which can be a bit of a temptation for us as believers. It also ties in with this, our fifth strategic priority for the next few years, that people are growing in their relationship with God individually and together. So we're going to read through and uh, we're going to get that sense of excitement from Paul that he's heard about what's happening to them and um, he wants them to keep growing. One really important thing, though, in when we read this is that Paul is not just saying how excited he is about hearing they've come to know Jesus. He's saying another thing. He wants them to carry on, to go deeper in their knowledge of him, of Jesus. He doesn't want them to just leave it there. Paul wants people to grow up, uh, to show that they're truly alive. I was um, chatting with Emily yesterday, and uh, sorry about this for people, but she asked me... um, 
do seagulls poo? And I said, yes. And she said, do all seagulls poo? Well, yes. And do all birds poo? And I said, it's one of the uh, qualities of being alive. Now, another quality, so you can understand why I'm saying that, is that things grow when they're alive, okay? So we as Christians should be carrying on. We would be very concerned if we found a 35-year-old adult that was still being spoon-fed by their mum and dad. Okay, we had a little joke about this yesterday because my girls like to be fed. And we said, you know, they won't be doing that when they're 20. But who knows? But we would be concerned. And he, Paul, and others are praying for them that they would mature. We've got these two verses, one of which we'll read today, that they'd grow and learn to know God better and better. And then a bit later on in Colossians, we also read this one, learn to know their creator and become like him. And that's really important, and we're going to come back to that quite a bit today. So let's begin. Uh, Let's pray, and then we're going to get stuck in. So Father, we just uh, come before you this morning as we start the study of this letter. We pray that your words would fill us. We pray that we would know the power of change as we allow your spirit to work in our lives. We want you to forgive us, Jesus, for any resistance of you to change our hearts and be ready to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I've said already, Paul wants them to continue. Um, The passage for today, Paul just says how much the good news is changing the Colossian Christians and indeed Christians all over the world. And change can fill us with a number of different emotions. Just this week, um, Em started Beavers and she was super excited about going until the day that it came when she announced in the living room, I hate Beavers. Now, she hasn't been, she knows nothing about it. So what's going on? She's anxious. A change is coming into her life. And we all know that anxiety, don't we, when we're starting a new job or a new boss is coming. We also know the relief of change when we leave the job we hate. We know anger at change when we feel out of control of something, when we can't stop it happening and perhaps we think it's wrong. And we know joy as well, like the reality of good change in our circumstances getting closer and closer. And of course, most of the time it's a mixture. Christians, we know, can be the most resistant to change, can't they? And uh, on the Alpha course, there's a joke about a guy who, who talks about how he'd been in a church 45 years and there and the person says like you know there must have been a lot of change during that time and he says yes and I've resisted every one of them and that can be a bit of our attitude but the truth is as believers of Jesus we are meant to change we are literally living in an expectation of nothing less than radical beyond our wildest dreams, change. That's the reality that we're sitting in. We start to change the moment we understand the good news of God's grace for us. But if we're honest, 
we can struggle with that. One of the things people discuss on the Alpha course after that talk on change is, how do you feel about Jesus changing you? And it's a chance to explore all your fears about, well, will will God make me do something I don't want him to do? Or uh, will God, uh, you know, change my life in a way I don't want him to? And as Christians, we still feel that little bit of anxiety. What if God tells me to go somewhere I don't want him to want to go? What if God tells me to do something I don't want to do? So let's um, read our passage. And we're going to read Colossians chapter 1. And just the first bit. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light." For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, we're going to start there. So, oddly enough, uh, we're going to start at the end. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins and we're going to start there because everything Paul says everything he's thankful for everything he prays for them finds its root in this sentence in these few words we feel that uh, uh, Paul's excitement as we read that but it's all based here Now, if we remember just a very quick gospel, the kingdom of light was how it was when God created the earth, perfect. And those circles are human beings who exist alongside God. He walked with them. He taught with them. He had communion with them. They were friends. But we all know that man chose to rebel against God, to choose his own way and her own way. And so 
we have these two realms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. So heaven, the place where God dwells, it remains perfect, eternal, unchanging. Where God's rule and authority lives, where there's goodness, there's joy, there is peace, there's patience, there's kindness. And the kingdom of darkness, earth, it's broken and it's temporary. And as we look around the world, as we read the news, as we think about it, we can probably today, if we think of these black dots on the yellow perfection as human beings, we can probably think of a few people that might be close to that completely black dot right now. That almost all the good and all the perfection has been removed. But we can equally think of lots and lots of people that are just generally good. They're nice people. But maybe there's one tiny black dot. But we know that God and humans who've sinned, who've fallen away, who aren't perfect, cannot exist together. We've been separated from God and there is a problem. On the Alpha course, we talk about um, think of the worst person you've ever uh, you've ever thought existed, and you put them down here. And this is the worst person. Now think of the best person you've ever thought of, and we might put them here. And then we say, and now think of yourself, and you might put yourself in the middle. But either way. Wherever you are, compared to God's perfection, which is so high, we can't even see it. We are miles and miles away from him. Separated by our evil thoughts and actions. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And we live in a very dark, dark world. So obviously here's our solution, which we've heard many times. God sent, came into the world as Jesus, came into the darkness as light and took on all our darkness. And then as we go through him, we are transferred to the kingdom of life. And as it says up there, for the wages of sin is death. That's the result. Death being life without God. A place where God is not. No goodness, no kindness, no mercy. But we have had this gift through Jesus Christ our Lord. That we go through Jesus. Not by our own doings, not because we're good, not because we're better than anyone else. But because we come through him and he takes our sin upon himself. And we are transformed transferred into the kingdom of light that says you were dead because of your sins that means spiritually dead you had no choice you were dead you were without God in your sinful nature but Christ forgave all our sins he cancelled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross and now we exist in this, oh, sort of, some kind of Venn diagram, but we kind of exist in the middle. 
You know, we were made perfect in Christ, but we're not quite perfect. We've got our old nature and our new nature working alongside each other and fighting each other. And we continually come back to Christ for forgiveness daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes minutely, sometimes secondly. And in the middle is where we exist. That's the grace that we need to understand. So each believer has a testimony of God's activity. And as we read this letter, we just see Paul's joy. Put verses 3 to 8 up there. His prayers are just so full of thanks for the love and the faith that he hears they have. I wonder if we went to Portswood High Street and we said, um, what do you know about Portswood Church? Would faith and love be the first thing people said? When we're looking for a church, is that the first thing we look for? Or are we interested in, oh, well, how's the children's ministry there? Or, you know, what's the, what's the speaker like? Faith and love. Do they love each other? Do they love community? Are they demonstrating they have faith? Because that's what Paul is looking for here. They really trust God. They love others. And he's excited that like many across the world, as he says, they're being changed. Their character is being changed from that dominion of darkness into the dominion of light. Love and joy and peace, the fruit of the spirit is being shown in them. And we all know that excitement when we hear a testimony. Say there's a baptism day and someone gets up and they give their testimony of how much God has changed them. It's so exciting to hear. This week, I've been down a little bit at church in the park, and every single service, there's someone getting up to testify how God has changed their lives. Paul reminds them that it started when they really understood God's grace, and it comes from confident hope stored up or reserved for them in heaven. The beginning of the year, we did about hope, and uh, we did about, I did about the helmet of hope. You know, you need to protect your minds. Well, there's another type of hope, and this um, hope is what's stored up for us in heaven. So um, I might need to borrow you, Rob. Up you come. Do a little demo quickly. Here you go. Um, uh, Rob will be playing the part of Jesus today. And the hope is sometimes called an anchor. Now, if we look at this, it anchors us in. It's like we've got a rope tied around us, like this. And this is the hope, and it guarantees our inheritance. Now, when we've got our rope on, we can uh, do nice things, but we are okay because uh, Jesus has got us, okay? Jesus has got us the whole time. We're not going anywhere. That's the security. That's the hope we know. When we come to believe and we understand the grace, this is where we're at. But often, when we get this, it's all very nice at first and we change a lot. And then we just sort of seem to get a deck chair. I say, oh, it's nice. I'm going to heaven. I just have a little kit. But that's not what's supposed to be happening. You can get down now. Thank you. So there's our hope. Thank you. Hope anchors us to Jesus. 
Nothing can cut the rope. Remember, it says nothing can separate us from the love of God ever again. And Jesus says he's in there pleading our cause. And his Holy Spirit sent at Pentecost is the deposit guaranteeing our path. So how do we know we're attached? We've got the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. You can almost imagine it. Holy Spirit. He is our deposit. He is reassuring us that he, God, is with us at all times. And verse 6 tells us that the Spirit, our deposit or our anchor, is the source of change. He's the source of the love too, verse 8. He's the source of everything. So we could, at this point, sit back and relax. We are anchored. We are secure. We've known change in our lives. Jesus has come. But Paul says he's continually not stopped praying. Not stopped praying. Let's look at the last few verses again. I can bring them up. It says, we've not stopped praying for you since, you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord. I'm reading a slightly different translation in case you're worrying. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Notice here how the fruit is produced. Have a little look. How is the fruit produced? It says, we've not stopped praying for you since we heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and an understanding. Then the way you live will always honor And please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. So how is the fruit produced? It's not produced by them looking at a list of rules. It's not produced by them trying really hard. It's not produced by them telling each other, you need to be kinder. What does Paul pray for? Complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And the last bit, all the while you will grow and learn as you know God better and better. As you know God better and better. Our fruit, we know this, is produced by knowing God better and better. It's not produced by trying. Look at this for 2 Corinthians 3.18. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord 
And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Because of what has happened, because we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, we can see the glory of the Lord. The veil has been removed. When we read the Bible, the veil has been removed. We can see what God is like. When we sit and we pray, we have that intimate relationship as the Holy Spirit in us changes us to be more like him. I wonder um, whether you've prayed recently for yourself or others in the community this prayer to have complete knowledge of his will to have wisdom and understanding, and to know God more and more. Because Jesus has enabled us to change, to stand before him, to gaze on him, to when we read the word for it to become alive and living in our souls and transform us. But too often than not, Our prayers consist of little things like, oh, help me be a bit more patient. And there's nothing wrong with that. Praying for patience is great. But actually, we're transformed by the Holy Spirit changing us as we gaze on Jesus. We need to know God more and more. That is our whole series is about that, knowing him more. I wonder how your quiet times are going at the moment. Do, are you making time to gaze on Jesus? It's lovely that we have a boldness to go into the Holy of Holies. It's lovely that we have the Spirit of God with us all the time. And we can pray all the time and we do it on the way to work and we do it as we're making the tea. And that's brilliant. Pray continually. But are we making time to gaze on him, to really study his word? Have we opened it up? Because he loves us so much. He delights in us. He wants to bring about that change we so desperately need and want. We're wrestling away down here. And the answer is not to focus on that, but just to focus on him. That's how we're changed. Face to face, we reflect him. It's so easy, isn't it, to get caught up down here. I want this to change, Jesus. I need a change in my life. I need you to change this about me. I need you to change this about this person. I need you to move this. But the change is going to happen as we gaze on Jesus. As we look at him and the spirit begins the change. Do you see what I mean? So this week, as we start this series, I want you to commit to gaze on him. Colossians is such a small book. It's such a short letter. If you haven't, if you've read it loads and you think, I've read it loads, I've studied it before, Louise. I know what it says. 
then I want to suggest that you do it in a different translation. I want you to suggest you go and find yourself another one and you read it through fresh eyes. And if you've never read it before, I'm going to suggest you read it. Get yourself a Bible. You can get one from the welcome desk if you don't have one. If you need some advice on what what version, I know there's lots of different translations. I'm happy to help you. But I want us to commit as a church over the next six weeks to gaze on him. To put aside time, go and get your multiple color pens. And I want you to highlight and I want you to think and I want you to chew over his word over the next six weeks. We're going to gaze on Jesus because that is how change happens. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came for us. We were totally helpless without you. And you came into our darkness. And today you come into our dark places and you shine your light. Jesus, we thank you that you are committed to changing us. You hold us secure. Nothing can separate us ever from you. We thank you, Jesus, that your spirit is in us, a guarantee of what's to come. We thank you for the change you've already brought in us. But we want more of you, Jesus. Father, forgive us for the times when we want to sit on our deck chair and watch the world go by. Help us to stand for you. And Lord, we pray over the next six weeks that as a church, we be committed to gazing on you. We're committed to digging into your word, to seeing what this letter has to say and to teach us about growing in you. And Lord, may we be that church that's known for love and faith. In Jesus' name, amen.